0: Thank you for listening to the Northridge Church podcast. For further information about Northridge Church, visit us online at northridgethompson.com. All right. I'll tell you, I was um, thinking this week as I'm finishing this series on impact today that uh, the church is a pretty powerful force. I I don't know if sometimes we, we lose sight of that because we we hear in the media the, the, the mockery and the parodies where they use churches to make fun of. I don't know if you notice that or not, but in every movie, and every scenario, we see where the church has been poked fun at because you know, it seems like we have lost our voice, but I want you to know something. The church is alive and well today. God is alive and well. The body of Christ today can be more healthy than it's ever been in the entire history of the world. Why? Because I believe that for the first time in many, many years, we're starting to see that it's time for this new generation of young people to rise up. We Listen, go back 25 years ago, there was no such thing as youth ministry. There was, there was a couple of little breakout sessions. There was directors over youth. There was all of these, but when you... Talk the context of youth ministry, where preaching of the Word of God, doctrinal truths that are spoken in to your children's lives, into mine. I'm going to tell you something, guys. That is what's going to be the catalyst of change as we go into the next few years. Because here's what we know to be true: ISIS and these other organizations that would seek to destroy, uh, not only America, but let me let me make this very bold statement: They could care less if America does good or does bad. That's not the baseline for their attack. Their attack. It's based upon Christianity, who they call the infidels. Their goal is to disrupt every single thing that this book stands for. And I want you to know something. I, I, I used to be afraid of things. I remember 1984 when uh, there was a book written talking about the end of the world. How many remember that book? I was in high school. Uh, Van Halen came out with an incredible album that year. And the same year, uh, the, the 1984 book was written. And I, could, I didn't know whether to be happy or to be sad. I mean, Van Halen was prospering, but the world was about to end. So I didn't know what was going on. But here's what I know to be true. I'm not worried about what tomorrow holds. I'm not concerned about that. Ben prayed for me this morning as some of the men gathered around and pray for me each Sunday before I come out. And, and Ben prayed a, a passage out of Matthew chapter six where it says, take no thought for what you're gonna eat or what you're gonna wear or where you will lay your head, even for your own life. But watch this. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness. And the Bible says what? All these other things shall be added unto you. Let me tell you something. I am not the least bit concerned about what tomorrow holds. Because why? I know that my Redeemer lives. I know that if I close my eyes here on this earth, I'm going to open them face to face with the one who created me, the one who saved me, the one who redeemed me. And I hope you feel the same way today. So to Martin, does that mean we turn a blind eye to what's going on in the world? No, it doesn't. But it means that we gather together as a corporate church, and we rise up and we make a difference in this lost and dying world, starting in your own home, start, starting in your own community, in your own job, in your own school. Anything politically that's going to happen in the nation is going to start in our local government. You and I have to be a voice. So if you have your Bibles down, why don't you turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. I'm going to finish this message pioneering to impact. Pioneering to impact. If you watched the video just a moment ago, you realize that there is a notion. That's being spoken about in the world today. Listen, the church is powerful today. The church has not lost its savor. The the church has not lost its impact. It's time though, however, for you and I to take our rightful place in the church. See, the the body of Christ is not made up of, of just heads. That would be a weird looking body. Think about it for a moment. It needs some fingers, it needs some feet, it needs some, some eyebrows, it needs some fingernails. Every part of your body on uh, your person is very, very important. And when you lose function of that one part, you realize how important it is. The truth is the exact same in the body of Christ. You and I have to find our place and get invested and get plugged into what God is doing. And I believe today I'm going to help you to understand that by way of a couple of illustrations that God has laid on my heart. I want to read a few verses if I can, and then we're going to dive right in and finish number two and three for pioneering to impact. It says in verse one, Deuteronomy chapter six, and remember this is the fifth book of the Pentateuch, fifth book of the Torah or the law, some 613 laws that were written, thou shalt" and thou shalt not." All epitomized in the person of Jesus Christ who would not abolish the law, but would what? Fulfill it completely so that now we walk in the dispensation of grace. Aren't you glad you don't have to keep all these do's and don'ts? Listen, I don't know if you know this or not, but the Bible is not about do's and don'ts. It's a principle. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved there's things that are principles if you do this, this is going to be the result of it we think sometimes, erroneously that coming into the church we got to do all these things before God can be happy with it can I tell you something you could try to fulfill every one of the laws and still miss Jesus completely But in the same token, you can walk through that door out here today completely abandoned by the world, completely bankrupt in your spirit, completely a failure out there, and walk in here, the righteousness of God in Christ. You see, that's a paradigm that you and I don't understand. There's a paradox there. You want to be great in heaven, then get to the back of the line. Because to be nothing here on on earth means that you're great in the eyes of a holy God. Let me read this to you you don't understand where I'm going. In verse 1, now, this is the commandment, the statues and the ordinances, which Jehovah your God commanded to teach you, that you might do them in the land wherever you go over to possess it. Underscore that, because God is not about empty promises. God is about you possessing what he's told you you can have. That thou mightest fear Jehovah thy God to keep all of his statutes and his commandments, which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son, all the days of my life. I think I'm in the wrong version. So if I'm throwing this up, is it a little different? Let me, let me click over just for a moment. I think I got the NIV if I'm not mistaken. Look at verse 3. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey so that they might go well with you and that you might increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey Just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the God of our Lord. The Lord is one. Listen to verse 5. This is called the Shema in Jewish culture. This is what they pray every day. Listen to what it says. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength. Jesus said the greatest two commandments is that being number one. The second, he said, is likened to the first. Love your neighbors as yourself. We have to get back to that. Listen to what he says in verse 7. Impress them on your children. How many of you have children? How many of you wish you didn't? No, don't answer that. Impress them upon your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them in your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Verse 10, when the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large flourishing cities, I love this, that you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Why? He's speaking of a provision. God's provision is that he's taking forethought for things things you had nothing to do with. Aren't you glad of that? Then when you eat and you're satisfied, let me finish with verse 12. Be careful. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, you need to be careful. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. Let's pray. Father, we love you today. Pray in the name of Jesus that you would help me to rightly divide your word of truth. We give you the honor and the praise in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, Amen. Last week, I gave you a couple of things we want to talk about, of course, impacting our world, pioneering for impact. And in so doing, we were talking about reclaiming new territory. It's time we rise up and we take what God has given us. We take the area that God has entrusted us with. If it's in the home, mama, then you teach your children homeschool, then you do it as unto the Lord. If it's in the schoolhouse, then you teach those kids as unto the Lord. If you're a postman, if you're a fireman, if you're a nurse, if whatever it is you do, do what God has called you to do as unto the Lord to the best of your ability for him to receive all the honor and the glory. That is a picture of having an impact. But here's what I know to be true. If we keep doing the same things we've been doing with expecting different results, we're living a life of insanity by definition. We might need to pioneer some new territory. I told you last week there was three things, three principles that will change this generation by way of pioneering for impact. Number one, I said last week, the next generation will be impacted by your attitudes. Now, without going back through those, I do want to give you what they were. We need to have an attitude of fear. We've lost that in our culture. Our children don't fear the parents. Our our children don't fear uh, police officers. We're we're not afraid of our teachers. I I said to you last week, I remember going into the school and worried that if I did something wrong, I was going to get a paddling. How many of you have ever got a paddling at school with a piece of wood? Okay, I don't know how they got by with that, but I'll tell you what. It's not a terrible thing. All the teachers in the house said amen. All right, y'all should be ashamed. Piece of wood, really. But there needs to be a fear and a reverence for law enforcement. Guys, I'm going to tell you, without getting into a whole bunch of personal cities and things that are going on, when we don't fear going to jail or we don't fear the laws of the land, then guess what? There is no doubt in my mind we're going to continue down this Darrell Spiral that we're going. But it starts in the home. How many of you were afraid of your daddy when you were a little kid? All my dad had to walk in the room and act like he was going to walk towards the belt that hung in the closet, and I was shaking already. My mom was even worse than that. We also need an attitude of obedience. Let me tell you something. I think that it's not only true that we need to instill in our children an act of obedience. That they need to do what we say. Hey, how many of you know? Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Yes, sir. No, sir. Still a good thing to hear around the house. Well, guess what? They'll never say it to the teachers until you instill it to them at home. But I also believe that the church at large, and I'm speaking to all of us today, I think we need to walk in an act of obedience to a holy God. There are things he's called us to do that are not debatable. He did say five times to go, therefore, into all the world to reach the nations, every tongue, every kindred, every race. You ain't got to like them, but you guess what? God died for them just like He died for you. And you and I have a responsibility to be obedient to this word, to do what God has called us to do. Husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave Himself for her. He said, "Well, I don't really like her a lot. I didn't ask you that. Just love her because that's what God said to do." And I believe God will honor that. And then, thirdly, under the attitude, I believe we need to have an attitude of expectancy. I believe it's time that we in the church, when we pray, that we start expecting God to do what he's already told us that he would. I'm afraid sometimes we have that empty prayer life that maybe when our our parent is sick, maybe when our child is sick, that we get out on our face before God and we cry out for God to heal that situation. But then in the morning or the next day after that's been done and that's kind of water under the bridge, guess what we do? We don't even get on our face before God because everything's going cool. What would happen if every single person sitting on the sound of my voice every single day would start praying, not only for this church, but every church in Upson County... to? to reach the people, 24,000 plus people in Upson and Thomaston are not in church today. If the church got on their face before a holy God and cried out to him on behalf of those people who are lost, and some of them don't know Christ, don't know the, the, the pardon of sin, and they're living a frustrated existence, let me tell you something. If we had an attitude of expectancy, this building wouldn't be able to contain everybody, nor would every church in this town. But we gotta have an attitude of expectancy. Number two, not only do we need to have an attitude That's right with God to change the next generation. Secondly, the next generation will be impacted by your words. Let me read a verse to you. Verse 5 of Deuteronomy 6. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Listen to this, guys. These commandments that I give you today are to be worn upon your your hearts. And he said, "Impress, impress them upon your children. The word impress there means to, to lead to almost like leading a sheep to impress them upon them as you nudge them out into the world. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now I want to clarify a couple of things here if I may in these verses. Orthodox Jews still today take this as a literal statement. They literally tie things around their head. They hang them on the gates of their homes. I want you to know that this is metaphorically speaking to you and I, that when we tie them around our head, the head, the heart, the mind is used interchangeably in scripture. What it means is this, to meditate on the things of God day and night. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O God. The Bible says out of the abundance of a man's heart, the mouth does what? Speak. At the heart, in the heart, out of it flows the issues of life. We have to tie. The word of God around our heart and around our mind. We hang them on our, on our on our gate. What does that mean? I'm going to tell you something. If you're not praying over your home when your children are not there, you're missing a huge blessing. Go in there and touch their room. Go in there and lay your hands on their computer. Say, nothing comes through this computer, God, that you haven't ordained to protect them from a life of pornographic stuff and all the detriments that are out there in the world. And here's what I also know to be true. And I'm going to say this. I want you to hear me. Mom and daddy, if you read this verse and you sit down with your kids, mom and daddy, at six o'clock, seven o'clock at night, and you have your devotion that you said everybody will get in there, meet in the den at seven o'clock. I know y'all don't talk like that. I don't know why I was doing that. We're going to have devotion and we're going to read the word of God because that's what you're supposed to do. Can I tell you something? If that's all the Christ your children see in you all week long, you're failing. And it's not going to impress them to follow a life after Christ. It's going to make them turn the other way. And that's what this verse is about. That you and I as mamas and daddies in our home, we have a responsibility. Hey, one of the things that we've learned several years ago uh, as we were doing marriage conferences and speaking to people that pour into married couples is there needs to be a time where our children would see my wife and I having a conversation that was just between me and her. It was okay for them to see me hug their mama. And oh, I like to hug my mom, or her mama, not my mama, her mom. To love on her, to encourage her. But let me tell you something, guys. We have to talk about the things of God in our home. That was weird. There's a story of a young preacher boy who came out of Bible college. This was back in the 70s. And he wanted to preach so bad, and he had this burning desire in his heart to to share the things of God. And he kept asking the senior pastor, he goes, when are you going to let me preach? When are you going to let me preach? He said, you just keep praying, buddy. I got one for you. Just, just keep on doing what you're doing. Weeks would go by. Hey, hey preacher, when are you going to let me preach? When are you going to let me preach? And he'd keep asking him and never could he get a chance to stand in the pulpit. He said, you just need to be sensitive to God, young man. He's going to open a door for you. It's in Alabama. One day the boy's riding home and God says, stop the car. The young 22-year-old preacher boy He got out of the car and he stood there. He goes, now what, God? He says, I want you to go stand right at the edge of this little culvert, this little ditch with a big pipe in it. He says, I want you to go stand right there, and I'll tell you what to do next. And he walks over there and starts pouring down rain. And he's like going, seriously, God, are you you kidding me? And God says, now I want you to preach the word. Boy's like, are you kidding me? And the Holy Spirit just made him feel so comfortable in that moment. And he brought him to the prodigal son in Luke 15. And he preached the prodigal son with power. And with a sense of urgency, and he came under the anointing of God. And he began to preach, and he said, And one day, that boy came to himself, and he looked back, and he saw that the servants in the father's house had it better than him. And he went back to the father's house, but the father was waiting on him with a robe and a ring and put shoes on his feet in order that the calf would come out, and he would serve him. And he said, You're not my son because you're worthy. You're my son by birth. And he began to cry out to God right there that night in the pouring down rain, 1230 at midnight, And he's crying out to God and he gave an invitation. Nobody on the street, nobody there. Would there be anybody that would want to come back home? Just come home. He's waiting on you. He wants to give you his righteousness. And he got through and the boy was just weeping. He preached for nobody, but he knew that he did what God had called him to do. Several years later, that same boy was preaching in a tent meeting in Alabama. And he stood up and he shared that testimony. And he said, I preached my heart out. I preached with everything I had. And I gave an invitation. And you know, nothing happened that day. But I did what God had called me to do. This man on the third row stood up. He walked out front. He said, no, I was there that night. I was in that culvert. With a gun to my head. Waiting to take my life. And I heard this voice. And it was you. And that night I didn't pull the trigger. That night I laid the gun down and I gave my life to Jesus and I came back home and tonight I stand here, I've been called to preach and this is my family, a whole row of people sitting next to him. You never know what speaking the word of God does even if there's nobody listening. you got to speak it in your home. you got to speak it in your life. we got to press it upon our children. Stephanie made a statement to me several years ago. She said, Mark, you can never take somebody where you've never been. You want to see, how many of you, mom and daddies, just just be real with me. How many of you want to see them grow up to be a man and and woman of God? You want to see your children grow up to be just powerful, powerful soldiers for Christ? They need to see it in you first. Don't just tell them, but impress it upon them. Be like the shepherd to the sheep. Don't just push them out in the open and say, hey, y'all go out and grow. Lead them by the still waters. You know, I believe that we need to talk about things in our home in order to help our children to understand what's going on around us. We started telling our children early on, that everybody, all of your friends, they're going to start to do things. They're going to start to give, give away their body. They're going to start to do this. We started telling them at an early age. And I'll be honest with you, Stephanie was doing more of that than I was. And I was like, I'm a little freaked out by that. I'd really rather go have that conversation with Tyler off in the woods or something. Let's go kill a deer and then, you know, talk about sex there. That would work perfect. We're gutting a deer. And now, boy, well, let me tell you something. That kind of thing. And Stephanie, she shared it in the home, and she's pouring it into him, and she's pouring it into our children. Our children grew up to be pure. It's time that mom and daddy start saying that word again over their sons and over their daughters. Say, you can be pure. I don't care what the world is saying, I don't care what the world is doing, but you need to set and consecrate your body and your life over to holy God and do it now because God will honor that. I, in fact, I, I got a few volunteers. Y'all come on out, guys. Sometimes I think when we share statistics, we, we see it as a vague number out there in the sky somewhere. We don't, we don't see a statistic as a real person. So by way of illustration, I want to kind of show you what, what, what's going on in the world today and why we need to be talking about this in the house. These beautiful young people, well, some of them, they're a part of our church. They're part of your family. But they represent a cross-section of the world today that we call teenagers. The world has called them Generation X. Let me tell you why. Because they place an X on them. They don't know what to do with them. I know what to do with them. We need to pour into them. We need to encourage them. We need to lift their head and say, you can be somebody. You can do things in Christ which strengthens you. We need to encourage them every single day as they're going in and they're coming out. And here's why. I want five of you to stand up. One, two, three, four, five. Stop with you, Eli. Eli. 54% 54% of our youth in the country today are sexually active. I didn't say had experienced or had, had tried or active. That's not okay with me. The world says it's fine, but it's not okay when we put faces on it, is it, Mom and Daddy? Y'all can be seated. Stand up all the way down to right here. Stand up. Everybody stand up. have been bullied within the last year. Now what that tells me is this. Do, Do you know why people bully? Do you know that? I do. Hurt people hurt people. We need to be pouring into our children so that the ones even who are doing the bullying, the ones who are doing the persecuting, we need to make sure that they've been encouraged. We need to make sure they're prayed over or else you're gonna see all these things and bullying is not like it used to be. Hey, step across this line. Let me tell you something. Guys, it's been detrimental to our youth and detrimental to our generation and we have to pray that God put a stop to it. Y'all sit down. Thank you, God. Seven of you stand up all the way. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. 69% of our children place their value in the thing that they pull out of their pocket and their purse each day we call a cell phone. Did did you hear what I said? I I know this is important, believe me. You take my phone, I'm going to run after you. But they place their existence, they place their, their value in what goes on with their cell phone. Do you know why they don't know words today? Because they're typing shorthand. I remember the first time I saw LOL. I didn't know what that meant. I thought somebody was calling me something, and and, and I get it now. But the reality is they learn how to talk based upon texting. I say words now, and I hear kids all the time, what does that mean? Well, the reason you don't know is because you're not in a book anymore. You're in a stinking cell phone, and nobody knows how to talk. And they place their value in that. Y'all sit down for just a moment. Seven of you stand up, and then half of one of you stand up. Can you stand up halfway? All right, y'all stand up. Oh, that's it? Okay, just hold your hand up. No, that's cool. No, no, no. Do it like this. Just hold your hands up, both of them. Oh, Lord, okay, I don't know where she's going. Watch. Hear me. I want you to look. Take your eyes off me for a moment and look down there, start with Cullen, and look down the aisle. Y'all look at them. Y'all look out there. Aren't they beautiful? <laughs> One of the mamas of the kids. I go, sure are. Look, hold your hands up, Brooke. Hold them up higher. Thank God you were sure. Listen, check this out. This many of them, according to statistics, have contemplated suicide this week. Statistics out there, but look at it right here where we live. Sit down. Uh -uh, Y'all stand up. 60% of them say that the most important thing in their life is their popularity. Stand up, all the way from here down. Hold your hands up. 94% of them say they want to succeed and do great in life. That's awesome. Sit down, put your hands down, sit 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 down, down, and hold your hands up. Only 16% have a plan to that end. A plan without a plan of action is a fantasy. They all want to do something great, but are they willing to, to take the step necessary to do it. And then probably one of the most mind-boggling all of you stand up, hold your hands up, and then stand up a little bit. Anybody got a camera? Take a picture of that. We'll put that on Facebook. Just hold on a minute. Y'all bear with me. This is pretty awesome. Pick one leg up. You got that, Big Dave? His mom and daddy are back there going, that's my boy. (laughs) I'm kidding. You put your foot down. (laughs) Thank you, dude. You can actually sit down. No, I'm kidding. You can stand back up. Big day, check this out. 97% of our youth believe that there is a God in heaven. Sit down, sit down, sit down, sit down, sit down, sit down, down, stand up, stand up. Only 21% of them are in a church today. And it's not their fault. It's ours. It's ours. 90% plus, me and David have talked about this, of adults sitting in this room today have never and will never share their faith. Stand up. Stand up. You already standing up. Stand up. Stand up. Stand up. Stand up. Hold your arms up. Hold a foot up. I'm just kidding. Seventy six percent of youth who believe in God have shared their faith. What does all this equate to? People stand. Will you stand up, David and Catherine? Y'all come stand in the front. God just laid this on my heart. So I want to. The difference in what's going on in the youth today is they put their faith and their trust. Let me tell you something. Most of these kids are not hearing the word of God in the home. Most of them. I'm not talking about these kids up here. I'm talking about in in the culture in which we live. But what we're doing is we're relying on youth pastors and youth pastors' wives to pour into. How many of you guys work with youth out there? Stand up. Stand up out in the audience. Stand up if you work with youth in some capacity. If you've worked with youth recently, stand up. These are the guys and the gals who are pouring into your children and encouraging them and the reason that that these kids are sharing their faith. Here's what I believe to be true. What if mamas and daddies were at their home and encouraging them and showing them by way of an example to pour into other people to share their faith? Hey, everybody stand up for just a moment. Hey, I tell you what, everybody in the house stand up for just a moment. Everybody in the house stand up. Here's what I know to be true. If every person in this room, if we just pushed all the statistics aside and said, no, 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 I'm your saved child of God going to heaven when you die. wave your hand at me like you just don't care. You have something in you that's real and it's called the Holy Spirit and it's worth talking about. It's greater than any cure to cancer. It's greater than any cure to anything. Why? Because you can take a bankrupt soul. How many of you remember the day that you gave your life to Jesus Christ because somebody came to you and says, let me tell you about a man named Jesus. Let me tell you something, guys. We cannot get over that. We gotta share our faith. 100% of you in this room, I challenge you this week, I challenge you to share your faith with somebody This week, because it is worth sharing. Y'all may be seated. While you're being seated, I want y'all to give Catherine and David and all these youth a big hand. Y'all come. As the band comes, not only will the next generation be impacted by our attitudes and our words, but it will be impacted by our testimony. How many of you ever messed up? Really? That many? How many of you will probably mess up tomorrow? Okay. We need God in our life. You say, Mark, I don't really have a testimony. I never was that person on drugs, and and you know, I was a, a virgin before I married, and you know, Mark, I've really never done. There is your testimony. You don't have to fail miserably. To stand up and, and be counted and have a testimony. It can't be a test without testimony without a test. I get that, but let me tell you something. I, I started reading last night as some great men in, 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 in our culture. Man, you guys come on out for just a moment. People like Hudson Taylor, the pioneer, the father of modern missions. A man who literally took his whole life and went to China and began to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with a people who had never heard. An unreached people group. Yet in his own autobiography, he begins to speak about how he felt he was so far away from God. And he wanted that empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And he felt frustrated in his work. And and, and I'm just like going, are you kidding me? This guy is like a hero above heroes in my book. And then I went on and read and I, I read of a man named Dio Moody. You ever heard of him? Dio Moody shared the gospel of Jesus Christ on an average of three times a day in open-air sermons, anywhere he could find a place, lecture halls, libraries. Could you imagine going to a library and everybody going, Shh, and this guy's preaching, and he's preaching his heart out on street corners and he's sharing his faith, yet he battled with depression. Finding his identity in Christ. Yet I submit to you, aside from the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest preachers to ever walk the face of the earth in D.L. Moody. You ever heard of a man named Charles Spurgeon? Charles Spurgeon said every time he stood up to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, he felt like he was going to completely lose everything in in his body. He had a terror of standing, he was a total introvert. Say Mark, why don't you, do you tell me that? Because I think sometimes the misnomer is we want to make an impact. We think we, we, we got to get it all together. We think we got to have all the answers. I, Mark, I can't share my faith. I don't. When you say Pentateuch or you say Deuteronomy, I don't even know what that is. I don't know that there's sixty six books in the Bible. I don't know that there were books were written over a fifteen hundred year period. I don't get all that. I don't know seven things that Jesus said on the cross, one of which was, it is finished. I, I didn't know that, Mark. Man, what if I go and share my faith and somebody asks me a, about a verse in Habakkuk? What am I going to do with that? Mark, I don't, I don't really even understand this thing. When I read this book, I'm more confused than when I opened it. Mark, I feel God's calling me into ministry. Young person, maybe in the back row that came up here, maybe God's impressing upon you to go on the mission field, to go to an unreached people group. Maybe there's a young lady in here, and God's calling you to set yourself aside, to consecrate your life over to a holy God, to live a life not only pure in your body, but pure in your thoughts, pure in your imaginations, and live a life so that you can be a women's minister. Maybe there's a 45-year-old man in the room who has failed miserably. Maybe you've been through several marriages. Maybe you, you, you drank something last night and you feel terrible about it now. Maybe you said some terrible things to your children. I don't know, whatever it may be. You say, Mark, I don't have a testimony. Due to the long suffering of a holy God, you have a testimony because you're here today. And God has a plan for your life. As he told Jeremiah, I knew you before you were ever in your mother's womb. I had a plan for you to prosper you to an expected end. He knows the end before the beginning ever starts. Everybody in this room that has stepped out of a bondage of death on their way to a devil's hell has a testimony. And here's the testimony I was bankrupt, I had no hope. I had no joy. I had no sense of belonging. I had no no design for my life. But oh, there was a day for me, October 29th, 1999, that God did something profound in my home. And he said, Mark, I'm not going to just do this because I'm a pretty good old guy. I'm not the man upstairs. I am Jesus Christ, the one who redeemed you 10 years before, who saved you, who set you on a course to do something with your life. And the reason that I'm intervening right now in your life, Mark, is because I'm giving you a testimony. Yeah, you failed. You've been a complete failure. Let's go ahead and get that out right now, Mark. You You don't bring anything to the table that adds to who I am. But one thing I know, that there are people out there that need to hear that God can take the old and make it new. God can take hopeless and bring life. God can take dead things and raise them up. He's the lifter of your head, Mark. Just as I lifted your head, I will lift somebody else's. Marriages in this room that are on the rocks, that are dead and dying, God can walk in today, step up and create in you a clean heart and renew the right spirit within you. If you're addicted to pornography or alcohol or some other type of codependency, God can step on the scene right now, today. Not tonight, not tomorrow, not the next time you enter into that nasty gate, but right now and he can say, we're turning over, not a new leaf, we're making all things new because if any man be in Christ he's a new creature the old things have been passed away behold he said all things have been made new where are you at today what's your testimony what's your hope I hope and pray that you're not placing any value in another person to bring you fulfillment in your life it's not my wife's job to give me joy the joy of the Lord is my strength The reality is this. If we're ever going to pioneer to make an impact, we got to step out of old paradigms. We got to break down some walls. People say, when you fall off, you got to go and get back on where you got off. No, you don't. You never have to go backward. You just step up today and say, here I am, God, use me. Maybe there's a couple in this room with every head bowed and every eye closed. Maybe I'm speaking to you. Maybe there's a couple in this room that says, you know, Mar, we didn't start out the right way. But I sure want to finish strong. Today's the day, couple. I don't know where you are. But God is saying, come to me right now. All you that labor are heavy laden and I'll give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon me. Learn of me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You don't have to struggle anymore, husband. You don't have to struggle anymore, wife. Mom and daddy, you can give up yourself and say, God, here is everything I have. I lay it at your feet. Create a new in my life right now. If that's you, I want you to come right now. Just come and just pray down here at this altar. Don't wait for me to give you a formal invitation. Listen to me. Listen to me. Young person. God is impressing something upon your heart and you're saying I feel like there's something He said to me but I don't understand it the Bible says in Philippians 2.13 it's God that works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure if there's anything in you man, woman, boy or girl that's saying I want to do something for the glory of God right now stand up God put it there and just come down to this altar and say God I just want to seek your face come right now right now just come now if you don't know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior but you want to you want to know him as a personal Lord and Savior of your life. You don't know that if you die that you'd go to heaven. You're not sure. Maybe you're living that hope so Christianity. I'm a pretty good guy. I'm a pretty good gal. The Bible says there's none righteous, not one. But in Christ, I have been made the righteousness of God. If you want to know him today, would you pray with me right here, right now, from your heart to God. Pray this prayer in faith. By his grace, you could be saved today. Father in heaven, I believe in Jesus. Jesus. I want to ask Jesus to come into my heart to forgive my sin to renew me I ask you Lord Jesus to forgive me and to save me today become the Lord of my life and help me to live for you until the day that I die if you pray today and ask Jesus Christ into your heart I want to know it I just want to pray for you lift your hand right now every head bowed and every eye closed lift it up high lift it up high God bless you. God bless you, little one. Anyone else? God bless you, ma'am. Anybody else? Just lift it up high. Final question. By raising of your hands with everybody's eyes closed, no one looking around, how many of you want to truly make an impact in your home, in your community, for the glory of God? How many of you want to make an impact? Lift your hand up. Lift it up. If you lifted your hand up, when I ask you to stand, here's what I want you to do. I want you to come find a place somewhere at this altar, with your wife, with your husband, with your children, and say, "God created me today of persistence to move forward, to persevere through all this stuff, all the doubt, all the all the anxiety, the depression, to get to a place where you call me." People are already moving. If you would stand to your feet, if you raised your hand, I want you to come now and say, "God, that's me. I want to make an impact." This is not just a sermon series. This is a challenge from God's heart to yours. Say, Mark, why do I have to walk the aisle of a church to, 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 to satisfy that? You don't. You can stay right where you are. But I do know this. Y'all go ahead and spread down the wall over there too, guys. Y'all just keep going that way, Bill. Open up that. Both sides. There's something powerful when we come together in the body of Christ and we join our hearts to one point. So if you're sitting in your seat, I want you to join a hand the person that you came with. I want to pray a prayer blessing over everyone this morning, and then we open up these doors. If God has called you to be a part of this church, the doors stand open. I'm going to ask our folks that have the papers to make their way into the aisles because it's kind of packed down here. Let's pray right now in the name of Jesus. Father, we come before you. We ask you to, Father, give us clear vision. Clear direction. What your word says that you're the light beneath our feet. Light into our path. God, we don't have to know what tomorrow holds. We just got to know what we got to do today. Right this moment. God, I believe you're calling. You're stirring up your people. There's going to be pastors. There's going to be ministers. There's going to be missionaries. There's going to be children workers. There's going to be laborers they are going to stand up today and they're going to know that you've called them into a direction. Satan, you're a liar and a deceiver and an accuser of the brethren. The Bible says if we resist you in James 4, 7, that you must flee from us. So right now, Satan, we tell you, we command you to get behind us. You have no place in this room, no place in these lives. The promises of God are yes and amen in him and we stand firm on that today. God is calling us and we will follow. God, today we love you. We praise you. As they sing this song with everyone looking this way, what is God calling you to do today move off the bench and say coach put me in let me be a participator let me be no longer a spectator of this great story that God is writing in his church let me step into a participating role if God's calling you to be a part of our church our, where our folks are that has the sheets down front I want you to come as they sing you do what God's called you to do set of fire.